welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sports. My name's Richard Bacon. I'm joined this week by Tom Gibbs. Hi, hi. Ollie Scully. Hello. And making his debut on the podcast tonight, it's Adam Tor. Hey, how you doing? For anyone who might be listening for the first time, we have a website as well as this podcast. Um, please have a look at takeustothegame.com where you'll find sort of our, our various writings on sport and some of the back episodes of this podcast. And you can also sign up for our newsletter to keep you abreast of all the things that we're up to. And of course, you can always find us at various social media. Uh, Take us to the game, one word, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, etc. As for the show tonight, we always begin with what we've been watching this week in the world of sport. So, Tom, what's caught your eye this week? Quite a week in sport with the um, a lot of the football coming to uh, uh, ahead. But I've actually been had my eye caught today by a stat that approximately, um, well, the number of people who've taken up golf in the last year has doubled on a normal year, which I think, you know, it says something in a pandemic. The, the, the sport that comes out of it, smelling of roses is golf. What does that tell you about the social aspect of the game? But uh, as someone who's definitely a, an you know, an occasional golfer. I'm not surprised by that. It's been busy at the range. It's been busy at the courses. And certainly up here north of the border, um, you know, it's going to take more than a global pandemic to sort of knock the enthusiasm for that sport. Gosh, anything to get out of the house for four hours. Well, that's essentially <laughs> what I've been using it for. You know, if you're feeling a bit, a bit uptight, go and get a couple of hundred balls and smash them to oblivion. That actually genuinely makes you feel a lot. Well, I think How it's been you? quite an inspirational week this week. Phil, Phil Mickelson has showed that the... The old swingers can still do it. And, uh, well, I think actually the uh, the most interesting bit of uh, of the golf this week was the um, was the next stage of the dust up between um, Brooks Kupka and uh, Bryson DeChambeau. I don't know if you you guys have all seen this. Yeah, I saw it on Twitter. It's yeah. quite amusing. No, I'm not seeing it myself. No. So Bro- um, Brooks Kupka is doing um, doing an interview, and um, DeChambeau is walking past and. There's been a bit of previous between these two, but um, Kupka just completely loses his train of thought and basically says, oh, "I can't, you know, can't deal with this." <laughs> but these two are these two are previous. They, they've um, they've been at it over social media for a couple of years now. I think it dates back to uh, Kupka having a go at how long it takes um, the Shambo to line up a shot. I think there's been some argy bargy about whether you know you need to bulk up, and I, but I can't wait for the Ryder Cup to see them on the same team. It could be interesting if. Uh, you know, if you wanted to make a box office pairing, you would put them together <laughs> playing foursomes and just see how Kupka reacts when DeChambeau, you know, blasts it, you know, 500 yards and into the rough, <laughs> leaves him with a, leaves him with a stinker. I think those two it's hate each other. Yeah, you could see that. You could just see it being box office. They play. Yeah, you don't really play so- together. You don't normally associate golf with beef, do you? But Beef Johnson would be the exception to that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> beef, yeah. Um, for me, I mean, there's been a few this week. Like, over the weekend, obviously, it was pretty... Like, football always dominates my sporting calendar with a bit of bit of fighting involved as well. A few eyebrows raised at Lille dethroning the financial giants of Paris and France and winning the cup. Uh, the league there was pretty impressive. Um, and then, similarly, we've seen a few this year. Obviously, Rangers dethroning Celtic, um, Inter dethroning Juve, and Atletico taking down the, the, the two Spanish giants. Um, so it's quite nice to see. Hey? Sporting, sporting too in Portugal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's been a bit of a season for a, a lot of European league season change, but Lille in particular was quite a surprise because Paris seems to dominate that league a lot. Um, but the unsung hero of the team is their goalkeeper, Mike Magnon, a spectacular goalie. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the French think he should get the nod ahead of Loris for the uh, for the Euros, but probably won't. 
Um, but yeah, anyone in England probably thinks you probably should because yeah, Tottenham not been the best. Um, but yeah, that was certainly had, uh, had had some weight behind his claims. So having watched watched Luis drop them, play the ball to to the nearest you know approaching striker for the last field like two or three seasons. Yeah, but yeah, I think Luis has got to be on borrowed time in any. In any number one jersey. I think so, yeah. But yeah, the, the, the Lille guy's pretty good by all accounts. I've not watched a lot of it firsthand, but um, yeah, I watched the, the final game on Sunday night, see them, see them win. Uh, it's always kind of nice to see an underdog come through. Um, so yeah, that was the main thing. Um, and then also, yeah, as an ex, ex-Liverpool player, a bit of a shout out to Luis Suarez, I think instrumental in them winning the league. <laughs> He gets, yeah. you can say, you normally say in this kind of situation, the off-field antics, you know, drag his name through the mud, but his negativity is kind of on-field with his previous <laughs> vampire impressions, etc. But he's he's a phenomenal player. And I read a stat that um, quite surprised me. He's Barcelona's second highest goal scorer of all time. And you think of the players that have worn that jersey alongside, you know, like Maradona, uh, Ronaldo, the original, albeit a short stint, Romario, Stoich, got tons of them. And yeah. Uh, Luis Suarez second by quite a way of their all-time scores and I think his brilliance is certainly overlooked playing next to Messi for so long he's like the ugly sister of Lionel Messi which is probably a biggest compliment to play for anyone <laughs> in football in terms anyway but he's an astonishing player and I think yeah had Madrid not signed it they probably wouldn't have won the league so seems, so as, if the, seems as if the managers that are winning the um Winning the league, all then seem to be um, seem to be resigning. I saw that the Lille boss had gone. I saw Conti's left Inter, yeah, having yeah. just won the title. So um, it seems as if people are not not going to um, overroll the uh, the sort of the powerhouse and then and then stick around. Yeah, yeah. it was. Um, I read an interview today on why Conti had left because that really surprised me, and it's to do with I think they're owned by a Chinese like retail business who owns a big Chinese team who won their league, but they haven't got enough money to maintain the success, so they're like. Right, you've got to sell Lukaku and cut costs. And Conte's like, well, hang on, we just won the league, so I want to try and win Europe. And they're like, now you've got to sell Lukaku and uh, buy Carlton Palmer's younger brother, unfortunately, next season. So he's like, right, I'm off. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I think I must read something similar. The um, Chinese backers had, uh, had won the league in China with their team and then folded. So the yeah. team had gone from being champions to um, not being able to get a side out. <laughs> It's an expensive hobby owning a football team, isn't it? You've got to be like, you know, super rich where buying Lionel Messi is like throwing a tenner in the local slot machine to to not really feel the pinch too much. But yeah, it's not the best business if you want to win. It costs a lot of money to do. How to make a small fortune in football is to start with a large fortune. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? The the Lille one was a great story. And I think that, you know, probably half their team is going to get sold to Paris next season. So maybe that's why the coach was off. My big, big one was watching watching a bit of county cricket on YouTube last week, watching uh, the spring chicken that is Darren Stevens, 45 years young. He came in at Kent struggling at about wickets, continued to tumble. And uh, Stevens went on to score 190 with 15 sixes in the innings, including a 166 run stand with Miguel Cummins, of which Miguel Cummins made one. (laughs) (laughs) He just stood there with a beer. And oh, at one man. point, they got up to uh, the live stream, got up to 90,000 people on it. So basically, the, the size of Wembley watching this sort of tinny camera live stream from Canterbury. So that was my, my Friday yeah. afternoon. And it was a fixed position camera, wasn't it? So you oh, just yeah. see Stephen yeah. wafting away and then the ball just disappearing. And you know, there'd be no ripple of applause to tell you where it's gone. It just, you just see the shot. It's just the score ticking up by oh. six each time. Yeah, you'd see the shot. You'd see him look a bit like going back to your, your golf 
thing. You look, well, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. And then five seconds later, the umpire would signal yeah. six. He just bends down to pick up his tea. Yeah. <laughs> but there was a huge event in sport last week, uh, which is what we're going to talk about today, because we often talk about household names in sport. And I would say that Josh Taylor is probably not a household name in the UK, but Adam, you reckon he should be, right? Yeah, I think so. I think um, his achievement is certainly, it's not been seen before. I think one of the biggest, I think it was um, Mike Stello, one of the boxing pundits, who said, we don't think we'll ever see this again. Because it's the, it's not just the skill level of him or what he's achieved, because you know, a few others have achieved that status of, you know, of a unified, undisputed champion winning all the belts of an era, obviously famously Lennox Lewis uh, and many others. But to do it in 18 professional fights is insane. Um, it did beggars belief really in boxing. You look at someone called like Conor Ben, who probably is more of a household name in the UK because of his father principally, but he's an up and coming welterweight, put on a brilliant performance in his last outing a couple of months ago and stopped a guy in the first round who'd only been stopped once in his career. Um, you think, right, Conor Ben could make it. He could challenge those big guys. He's got speed, he's got power. Um, he's had the same number of fights as Josh Taylor, who's now sat there five pounds lighter with every belt and the ring belt in the world, having just beaten two of the most stunning fighters on the planet who are also unbeat. Um, and yeah, to the un, un, the casual fan, he's, uh, yeah, you don't really know who he is. Um, yeah, it's an, it's an unbelievable achievement um, for anyone in, in any sport to reach the top, but to be a unified world champion in boxing nowadays, not just the skill of who you beat, but getting through all the, dare I say, politics around boxing to allow that fight to even happen. That's a battle in itself. So, yeah, it's it an amazing achievement. And, and the way that he beat the guy who's unbeaten, like, you know, really high technical skill, knocked him down a couple of times, slightly bigger guy as well. This was yeah. Jose, Jose Ramirez, right? Yeah, who's 26-0 and 0 going into the fight, WBC champ, um, you know, no muffin. And, yeah, he looked like he was going to bully Taylor a little bit. But, yeah, Taylor's just really skillful, just dodged him, knocked him down a couple of times, won unanimously, a little bit close on the cards than some should have thought. But brilliant story, really. And it's, north of the border for you, mate, yeah. A pretty predictable roll call of Twitter adulation from him, for him, <laughs> <Yeah>. from uh, <laughs> anyone with any association of this part of the world. But... Um, <laughs> I think one of his problems is perhaps he's, he is extremely popular amongst those who know who he is and who yeah. enjoy boxing and watch it. But his style isn't perhaps the most satisfying in some senses. So particularly with the Ramirez fight, for instance, he's a he's a dirty fighter. Let's put it put it. Yeah, over. he loves a bit of inside. He? When he's coming out of a break, he's going to throw a punch, and that's really paid for him on on, on the weekend when he was able to sort of land, a, a, particularly in that second knockdown, as they were sort of he wasn't expecting it essentially. And put the guy to the canvas. So um, you can understand why he might not might not be a household, but certainly deserves the attention he's going to get this fight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And he's like I say, his style is probably why partly why the Scots love him. They're very patriotic. <laughs> but you know that. Well, he's a street fighter. Couple of tenants, uh, you know, after the pub, just bang when you're not looking. You know, they can resonate with that for sure. But uh, yeah, no, he's it's he's got some really big, exciting things ahead. Um, you know, potentially talking about Crawford fight, which dangerous for anyone in the world let alone josh taylor but yeah some exciting times ahead for him for sure uh that's terence crawford who would come up a weight to fight him yeah, yeah i was gonna say uh, his plans to go up a weight is it yeah so he's super lightweight or light welterweight depending on who articulates it but i think it's, it's only seven pounds so it's not a huge amount so but crawford is a bona fide welterweight and pound for pound number two in the world 36 and oh yeah hits like a freight train so it's a bit of a, it's a significant step up but you know probably crawford's toughest fight today as well and importantly, Crawford is box office in America. There Huge, is, yeah. 
there is a, a huge market to see him fight anyone. So I think that would absolutely open it up for Taylor in the longer term. Yeah, I think he's got a mandatory um, catch-all, the British guy who's unbeaten as well, which would be interesting. He might do that up uh, your neck of the woods for a good few beers and a night out. Um, and, he, and, and the guy, and this is guy was the mandatory for the WBO belt. He said, okay, stepped aside and said, okay, you fight for the undisputed because it's boxing deserves that. Deontay Wilder, not so much last week, as you probably saw. Give me 20 million, I'll stand aside. Yeah. Lee Catterall's go, I'll just have a beer and fight the winner. Um, which is like, you know, what sport's kind of about, um, or should be in my opinion. But I think he's got five, one more kind of mandatory fight to try and navigate before he gets some huge, maybe against a Crawford or Teofimo Lopez. Um, I think who's the weight down. He's big in America as well, beat Lomachenko recently. So there's a couple of really big fights on the horizon for him, which could propel him to that household box office name, which he deserves. So just stepping back a set in terms of you know the achievement that, that Taylor's got to, in that boxing's really, well, I don't know if it's unique, but it's quite unusual in that you have this four belt system, right? Yeah. Technically yeah. more than four belts, but yeah, four <laughs> major belts. So Taylor's only the, I think he's the only fifth person to hold all four simultaneously. So what, what are the four four main ones then? Yeah, so you've got the WBA, WBO, WBC and IBF. Each of those, for me, the best analogy for how to describe what they do is thinking about films, okay? And award ceremonies at films. So you've got a load of categories, which you can equate to weight divisions in sport, going all the way up from best light and sound all the way up to best film, okay? <laughs> And it is not inconceivable that someone could actually, you know, win an award for best film and best actor or best producer and best film. You see what I mean? But at the same time, you're not necessarily going to get the Oscar and the Golden Globe. They're going to rate things differently. They're going to have different criteria. They might want to just be different. How do you actually work out what the best film is, say? Well, if you can win it, Golden Globe, Oscar, BAFTA and can then maybe you're agreed on as the unified best film but it just doesn't happen like that it just really doesn't happen like that so why uh, you know josh taylor's award is achievement is so unique is he has been able to do it and in an industry that believe it or not is even more corrupt than hollywood <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's got an extra layer of t- um, complication the wbc they have like a competitive element to the belt and then like a popularity contest so they award this like super champ and they award they just don't they can award a belt willy-nilly so it's like they're, just they're, for being a good bloke <laughs> kind of they already not it's like just because they like someone almost is how they articulated it and yeah there's a guy at the weight class down lopez who beat lomachenko he doesn't have the wbc belt he has one because they gave him one because they think they're kind of like oh we'll give you this kind of you know on a lifetime achievement award type but uh, to similar to the um film analogy where they, made, <laughs> they haven't actually made a film but I will give him an award because he made a good one in, in the other, you know, last year or something. And then the guy who actually made the film and got the belt is slightly discredited. And then you've got a super champ. So it's just, yeah, the bo- the boxing politics are just ridiculous. But yeah, so the the, the achievement in itself that Taylor's has achieved in, in getting all four belts is probably just as hard politically as the fight itself <laughs> to try and get them all in the same place at the same time, as we're seeing in the heavyweight sphere at the moment. Um, and there, obviously, the draw's bigger, the money's bigger. Um, so the politics are harder to navigate for sure. And it and it almost feels like it's in everybody's interest if you are a promoter, you, you're in boxing, rather, you know, but not a fighter, to make sure that you know there are different different champs because then there's more big money big money fights to promote. There Absolutely. can be you know a, you know a champ versus a challenger kind of every time you know people step in the ring. Whereas if there's a there's an undisputed you know unified 
champion that's got all the belts, then you know there's only so many times you can put him up for for a fight. So yeah, it's kind I, of the politics, you know, lends itself to to making money with big, you know, big box office shows. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, let's not be naive here. It is a money making. It's a commercial industry. So yeah. follow the money for how it works. But so promoters absolutely are an aspect of that. But for the for the federations themselves, that's an important part because essentially, if you want to be WBA heavyweight champion, they will take a cut of the purse for the fight. And so how much you can make as a fight, therefore directly re- reflects how they rank you. And their rankings reflect on whether you get the fight. So if you are a box office draw, say you're Conor Ben, you might be better ranked on just popularity than, say, a Josh Taylor. Because the WBA will think, well, I'd rather have 10% of his purse, Conor Ben's purse, than 10% of Josh Taylor's. And therefore they'll rank him higher, they'll make him the mandatory fighter. Is there a technical difference between the belts in terms of the way fights are judged? Not as much anymore, I don't think. So the, the rules are fundamentally the same. But I, I do know that some of the some of the federations were quite instrumental in changing the rules over time. So I believe it was the WBA, but I might be corrected all there. Brought the championship gate, uh, fights down from 15 rounds to 12 rounds on the basis of their experience. It was actually a, one of the federations that did that, and it became standard. Yeah. For those of us who don't follow boxing quite as closely as you guys do, we tend to get involved when it's the big heavy heavyweight fights, the Klitschko's, the Furies. You mentioned Devonta Wilder earlier. You know, obviously anti anti Joshua. What, what's Devonta Wilder? Would he be a wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers? <laughs> who did I you say? Talk about Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder. He, I mean, he probably is effective. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, so what's going on in the heavyweight division at the minute? So, yeah, that, that's a political mind because that, that is the big draw because I think the morbid fascination for the armchair fan is like big guy knocks out other big guy. Uh, that's where you get people not that interested in boxing watching and why the lower weights aren't as morbidly interesting to the casual fan because it's harder to knock people out because the power isn't there. But yeah, the heavyweight division strewn with politics and money because there's more money there. But got Anthony Joshua's got three of the four belts. Obviously a big, big draw and undefeated Tyson Fury with the WBC belt. Yeah, they were lined up to clash finally. And then politics kicked in. Deontay Wilder is the mandatory for the WBC. So, yeah, it looks like that isn't happening. Now they've quickly turned around to other fights between um, Wilder and Fury 3, which will be interesting. And it looks like Joshua is going to fight Usyk, who's dangerous. So this could be a fight that never happens, like a bit like Mayweather-Pacquiao. You know, they, they fight when they're 63, like that <laughs> Rob De Niro movie where they're just like just grey haired and swinging at each other like Rocky 17 or something nonsense. <laughs> I can sadly see it happening because it would be the biggest boxing fight in here, probably. Certainly for our country, but probably globally. Because, yeah, all the belts on the line, the huge superstars. Um, but yeah, it's been scarpered, sadly. It's the fight that everyone wants to see, isn't it? You know, Fury, Fury Joshua. And it, it seems... It, it just seems frustrating that, um, as you say, the politics of it isn't is gonna is gonna potentially prevent us from from seeing it happen. Yeah, it's, as, a, as a even as a casual fan, uh, but certainly as a, as a big fan, it's really frustrating because you with any sport you want to see the best fight the best or the best take on the best. Like you know, this weekend's Champions League final, you want to see Man City in it. You know, they do deserve a shot at that because they've been the best team in the last few years. Probably not necessarily against Chelsea, but. You generally want to see the best compete for the best to win the trophies. Um, and like, so there's always a slight grey area in boxing because of those four belts and things. Whereas this time it was going to be like you are the bona fide heavyweight champ if you win this fight. There's no arguing with that, and it's quite good to try. That's what sports about, the ultimate competition. So it was going to get rid of all the greys, and you were finally going to have you know an undisputed, uncontested, baddest man on the planet kind of thing. And it would have been great, but in British guy, of course, being slightly patriotic as well. But um, 
yeah, the Americans are not oh. having it. <laughs> the, the country would stop for it if it, if it I think the world has stopped. Fury did take US by storm. I kind of saw firsthand, as you alluded to, we'll get into later, when he when he fought Wilder. And the Americans do love a big box office heavyweight fight as well. So it would have been would have been massive. Yeah, because you you followed Fury a couple of times overseas, right? Yeah, it's probably cost me a couple of years of my life expecting on that. Sure. <laughs> so when you when, um, when you're lining up at the gate uh, at wherever it is, Heathrow or Gatwick, and you're going off to uh, to watch Fury fight overseas, can you pick out in the line and say he's going to the boxing, he's going to the boxing, he's probably <laughs> he's a businessman. He's quicker to go who's not going to the boxing yeah but yeah no you could certainly see particularly the la one yeah these um fury's got a particular stereotypical fan base i'm obviously one of them probably not necessarily as burberry bling as some of his other followers but uh yeah they're all a good bunch we sat near a bunch on the plane and yeah it's quite a jovial thing going to an away boxing match it's a bit more rascal if you go to like a london o2 one than if you guys have ever been and uh yeah you get a few more few more rascals down there for sure but I think yeah the, the dedication and the cost to go to an international one is slightly different you've got to be proper in it for the for the love of the sport and, and I guess you know good weekend away with your mates as well goes with it but um yeah it's good fun yeah I can imagine it would be my my experience of going to boxing is confined purely to amateur I've been to both amateurs in the east end kind of stuff but actually mostly through military connections and military boxing is a big thing uh, and, you know, they put on a really big show. It's an annual highlight for any unit to have their their soldiers essentially fighting each other um, after, uh, you know, an intensive um, training regime. They take a lot of time out actually to get themselves ready. It's a, it's an honour to be selected to fight. And they make, a, they make a huge deal of it. But my last memory is they often try and bring in a lot of the, the trappings of the professional game. Uh, so some of them will live stream now onto telly or to YouTube. Some of them will have DJs, announcers and that. But one of them I went to had brought in some ring girls from the local uh, gentleman's club. <laughs> <laughs> Who I have to say did not have a professional attitude at all. <laughs> the wrong kind of professional attitude. Maybe. Well, yeah. Yeah, a friend of uh, a good friend of mine was in the Navy and I went to one of his um, military boxing nights. It was really, really good. Uh, his younger brother got a bit too emotional at one point, which, you know, you're cheering your mate on. But I guess when it's a close friend, you, the emotions do run quite high. It's just seeing him potentially getting knocked out. Or Fortunately, he won. But at one point, his younger brother just, just got really feral and wasn't like screaming, come on, Mike, knock him out. He just went, Rah! <laughs> 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 four-round damage, damage fight. And he got, hey, he'll be fine. But yeah, that was funny. But it was a really good show. Like you say, it um, brings out the beast in you sometimes, for sure. So it's a sport like no other in it. You don't just have a go at boxing uh you have to you have to take it seriously you have to you have to get on board with the 5am starts the diet everything about it you know even the amateur game is full committed process and so therefore you know even even for those who are just trying it in the very very early rungs of the of the ladder you know they've put a, a huge amount into it and it really shows in the passion you see must be a lot of boxers hoping that um that the olympics is actually going to go ahead you know, if they've been, as you say, you know, going through that uh, that training regime, you know, and kind of building everything towards towards this year's Olympics, having had the false start last year, you know, they must be must be desperate that kind of Tokyo actually actually happens and they can get on the plane and, and go and do their stuff. You, you look at almost unanimously every champion they've got Commonwealth or Olympic gold, silver medals, and it's the right passage almost yeah. to get through. It's also how you that that pathway is becoming a household name. So you look at the career of somebody like Anthony Joshua. He was an yeah. Olympic champion, 
um, that really put him on the map in terms of like perhaps the wider sporting public rather than those you know, yeah, yeah. close on mm. the boxing. And I didn't know an awful lot about Tyson Fury until you know chatting about him with you, Adam, and and kind of listening to him a little bit more recently and, and realizing he's actually quite quite complex and interesting character. But I think it'd be fair to say that if you polled people in the street in Britain, I would say seven, eight out of ten are going to say Joshua's more popular. I don't know I don't what you guys think. I don't know. I mean, Is that southern bias? I, I, I don't know if it would be seven or eight out of ten. I think you're probably right. He probably edges the, the general popularity probably for that reason. And maybe it is a slight southern bias. Maybe the northerners probably would side more with Fury, but probably be a little close in that. But I think you're probably right, given the fundamental point there, his background. You know, he's had his had his issues, and he's he's also you know been been very open about his um, you know his mental health challenges, and you know just the low points that he's that he's experienced, despite you know despite being kind of at the the height of his powers, really. You know, had some incredible emotional lows. I, would, I, I think there'll be a real soft spot for him in the in the general public because of just how open he's been about about those struggles. You know, it's it's kind of been well documented, but he's been very open about it, and I think um, yeah. I think that's quite that's quite a powerful story, really. He certainly helped a lot of people with it, and I think that's you know a much more prominent part of our society as a whole now is mental health than it was even five years ago, let alone ten. Um, so yeah, he, that's gaining him more more layers to his personality. And, you know, Joshua's your you know poster boy you know, almost manufactured superhero, you know, in, in everything from his aesthetics to his interviews. And he's a, he's a great guy. I love Anthony Joshua. I went to one of his really, really early fights at the O2, followed his career a lot as well. And it'd be a real kind of win-win as a boxing fan when they fought. Um, I'd probably slightly side with Fury. But um, but yeah, I think it's it'd be a close call now, like you say, because the, the human element of the Fury as the man is just raw emotion that he's poured out on things like the Joe Rogan podcast we mentioned before. I don't know if you're allowed to plug other people's podcasts on your horse. I don't think Joe Rogan's worried about this. There you go, Joe. Refer it back for us when you're next on air. But um, The interview he does with Joe Rogan's fantastic. And not not to give the whole thing away, because I'd urge people to go and listen to it. It's essentially once he, it's his lifelong dream to beat Klitschko. So after he beats Klitschko, he just talks about it being the most incredible low of having mm. achieved your dream which is kind of bizarre and the way he talks about yeah. it is fascinating but yeah really yeah it really might be because it might be because the fight itself was this boring boxing fight in living memory by his own admission <laughs> it's like <laughs> don't do that again uh, like 11 rounds you know high-fiving each other and then you know a bit of fun at the end but you know to the proper boxing enthusiast it was a technical chess match but we we went and got good seats i went with um boss from work treat me to an anniversary of work and some of his mates and stuff so we had really good seats but it was in a football stadium so you know if you watch two guys playing Wembley singles purely in the centre circle of Wembley you're not really going to see a lot and that's what a boxing match is like so it's great in a big stadium but you can't really see anything really um, so it was it was an amazing experience because he won but the actual fight itself was pretty boring but the, again the achievement there talking about Josh Taylor's achievement recently I think Tyson Fury be thrown in 10 year undefeated with Vladimir Klitschko on points in Germany's kind of adopted native country and outboxing, you know, the most technical boxer of, of his generation was phenomenal achievement. Um, but yeah, he just said, weird, I've listened to the same thing and it just left a gaping hole in his life because he's like, I've just aimed for that. And he was on top of the world. He'd won all the belts, beaten the man, he was undefeated, got millions of pounds. And yeah, he just fell off a cliff. It's crazy to think 
the comeback he made on that probably makes him you know, one of the most remarkable men, let alone sportsmen of, of our generation, to fight those demons and then come back and fight some other demons in people like Deontay Wilder, who's <laughs> his own downfall, dressed like a demon before he came out. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's an unbelievable story. Listening to him talk about Deontay Wilder, or Devonta Wilder, as I'm going to call him from now on, in that, in that basically Wilder, Wilder's not really even a boxer, right? In terms of technique, he's got the technique, essentially. He's a slugger. He's a slugger. He's he's trying to knock his opponent out, which sounds obvious. But <laughs> and if he does connect, he, 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 that's how he wins. But it's quite interesting that widely regarded as not being a technical boxer yet, he's on the brink of a world championship. But he was undefeated for 39 fights with 38 knockouts, something like that. Exact numbers, but something like that. Um, and he just was the biggest knockout artist of all time on paper. But an awful boxer, really. I think we fought with Pulev not that long ago, and. Pulev's a journeyman, he's decent, and he was eight rounds to nil up, Pulev, and because Tyson, Deontay Wilder couldn't land a glove on him, really, and then he lands one glove on him and it's game over, because it's like a freight train <laughs> coming at you, because he's, uh, and I think Tony Bellew fancied his chances against him, because he wasn't a boxer, and he said he met him after a fight, and he said, oh, Tony Bellew's a funny character, if you listen to his stuff, and he goes, oh, I was, was going to step up to heavyweight and fight him after I fought David Hay, and then he goes, I met Deontay Wilder, and he just shook my hand and put his arm around me and I thought mate he's hanging <laughs> and mine and his arm almost gave him, a, gave him a reach around as he came to him and he's just like no way I'm getting in a ring with that guy but yeah no he, he was a bona fide undefeated world champion for a long long time and then obviously had that famous first fight with Fury which I was fortunate enough to go to um, it was a draw controversially but it was what it was but then yeah he got schooled in the next fight but the third one should be interesting for sure yeah. So you, so yeah, for the day for the first one, was, yeah. was the mood in the room that really Fury had, Fury had won that fight? Did it feel like Fury had won it? It, it did because I did. You know what? If you just if you didn't really like no boxing of points and you know blah 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 and and just watching it live, I probably thought a draw was quite fair because Wilder landed on him a couple of times and put him on his ass. And Fury didn't do a huge amount of damage, and so when you're watching the spectacle live seeing two guys hit each other fury got the better than most of the exchanges but some of the rounds were like six punches to four there's not a lot going on mm. then when you see you know wilder knock him on his ass twice that's quite a big moment and he's the champ i always think you've got to properly beat the champ to, to claim the belt even though you just got to win the fight on the day and so the, the mood in the in the in the arena was very mixed it was and in part of the atmosphere why it's such a great experience because it was like a football match it was like normally go to boxing it's just like a hum and a you know a roar when somebody hits each other and i've mainly been to uk fights so it's a very biased crowd but there you had a big contingent of americans going usa usa like they've got the worst chances we know anyway like, <laughs> uh, and then you've got there's a wider cup crowd there yeah <laughs> yeah but it was brooks like, and bryson like going a, out <laughs> it was like a um really was a of a football match and because he had almost one half of the arena was the Yanks and the other half was a lot of Brits and they were really like cheering at each other it's very very jovial banter and not like like a Millwall game or anything crazy but <laughs> so there's a lot of support for Wilder which historically hadn't had that draw in America um but the atmosphere was incredible and so yeah the, the draw kind of felt fairish looking back at it and bizarrely one of the rounds of the judges gave to Wilder which on his card made it a draw else Fury would have won Wilder landed like three punches to Fury's nine and you're like how can you give and it wasn't one of the rounds he got a knockdown it was like three jabs to Fury's nine jabs and you're like Stevie Wonder's giving that round to Tyson Fury (laughs) you're watching mate so there was a lot of controversy in the scoring but I think the the rematch certainly put all that to bed and and Fury wasn't back to full sharpness 
had he'd had two tune-up fights when he's supposed to have four, and he said to Bob Aaron, "Look, give me the shot now, I'm ready to go." And he wasn't. You watch him look at his physique now to that first Wilder fight. He was still, you know, a little bit, a little bit flabby and a little bit slower than he is now. So he, he wasn't at his best. And then when he was in the second fight, we all saw what happened. Um, you know, even though Wilder's just you know, bordering on insane <laughs> excuses <laughs> as to why he lost, his heavy costume and you know. But Fury going all acme and having magnets in his gloves and stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, yeah, but it was it was an amazing experience to go for sure. Yeah, one of the best sporting experiences of of my life. Yeah, because for people that might not have heard heard the story that have not followed it that closely, um, Wilder comes out in it's almost akin to a suit of armor, isn't it? As his walkout <laughs> kit. Um, to be fair, but yeah. Yeah. And basically, forty pounds. Yeah. <laughs> basically, uses up his energy just getting to the ring, and then he's afterwards says he was just too tired to fight because he just dragging him his frame and this suit of armor to the ring was was enough. Yeah, and, he's, and he's both of his arms, which probably weighs similar. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. I mean, if I've got that excuse because I'm wearing that ring, I probably would be tired. But like six foot four shredded Deontay Wilder like come on mate <laughs> oh, there's any thing. amount of nonsense around that <laughs> that's, that's, that's what keeps it fresh but yeah next time I see Deontay Wilder you know on his way back from Sainsbury's I'm going to give him a hand with his shopping <laughs> <laughs> if you were playing a fantasy promoter next year Adam you know you can put any fight in the world on in 2022 and and not have it on a billionaire's yacht like one of the fights was allegedly going to take place um yeah who, who are you putting together who would you like to see fight? Well, any division yeah any pro i would like to obviously see fury joshua fight as a spectacle um i think it's a very good matchup like fury has the better boxing skill and you think he would win on but it was a points i think anthony joshua is kind of halfway between him and wilder he's got good knockout power and he's a decent boxer so it'd be a very interesting matchup so that is good I think the best possible matchup in boxing for me is maybe Errol Spence Jr. versus Crawford's at welterweight. They're two phenomenal technical boxers with speed and power, both undefeated, got some belts. It should have happened next, but weirdly, Spence is fighting Pacquiao. Like Pacquiao's the man that just won't go away, won't go old at like 46. He's fighting a 28-year-old world champion, but that'll be an interesting <laughs> fight. But yeah, Spence Jr. Crawford would be an unbelievable thing to watch because I think that that's too... That, that's akin to what Mayweather Pacquiao should have been in their prime. That's the level of competition you've got there. Yeah, unfortunately, there's no competition for Alvarez to, to have a Super Bowl opponent, really. I think Triple G maybe, but that might ship a sale now. So, yeah, probably certainly Fury Joshua, providing they don't lose their next matches and he get a unified champ. And then, yeah, Crawford Spence Jr. would be an amazing fight. How about you, Tom? Uh, I'm hoping for um, Phil Mickelson versus Darren Stevens <laughs> fighting for <laughs> fighting for throne in the old people's home. <laughs> How about you, Ollie? Uh, I was going to say something similar, actually. I think uh, probably uh, Bryson versus Brooks. Celebrity death <laughs> round, the, round the back of the clubhouse with their nine irons. <laughs> I watched the. I was watching a documentary the other the other week on Sky Sky Sports on uh, and it seems Ricky Hatton's son is coming up through the ranks yeah, yeah. it's quite highly rated and I had a lot of time for uh, Ricky Hatton in his career and I remember really vividly his huge fight against Mayweather probably about 15 years ago now but uh, yeah, yeah. If, if, if Ricky Hatton's son is patch on his old man then yeah he could be an exciting fight not because yeah. he's in a Man City fight <laughs> <laughs> We, we've got more going on for us now than simply Ricky Hatton's a fan. You can have a fight against Mick Hucknall. <laughs> 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 yeah, <that's what. laughs> 
saw Mick Hunt launch a, um, a random event. And uh, long I was at Sotheby's for an auction evening. My mum was taking the picture and she couldn't go. So me and Hannah went. <clears throat> and you know, when you see someone, you think, no. <clears throat> you say hello to him. I do it. I'm proving someone by day, so I'm not shy. Um, but instead of like saying Mick, or th- I just saw him and I went, simply. As if it was a <laughs> <laughs> so I see you, Rich. I'm doing it. Like, simply. And he, because he locked eyes on me as we walked past, yeah. and he just went. <laughs> <laughs> No shame, man. No time yeah. for that. No, I quite liked it. He didn't. He didn't like it, which I could sense. So I was quite pleased with that. I was like, Fuck, screw you, man. You man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. quite, you might have thought you had some learning difficulties. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell any of those. Just, just to be in the man's presence, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't happy. That's for sure. <laughs> and, and in boxing parlance, punched well above his weight. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Rich? As a casual boxing fan, he's hopefully a little more educated in your research the spiel today, but what, who would you like to see fight? No, as you, as you said, it'd be interesting to see if Taylor can step up away and fight um, Crawford. Mm, that'd be great. Next year. I, I, um, I think that would be that would be intriguing. And, and I think you, you made the point about you know, casual fans tend to gravitate towards the heavy heavyweight, but no, I actually think it's sort of the, the lightweight and the welterweight can be a lot more compelling to watch because that's where you really see a lot of the technical skill. So, um, yeah, I'd be intrigued to watch that, having having got into it a little bit over the last week or so. Yeah, it should, it should happen, I think. So, yeah, it'd be pretty good. Adam, Tom, Ollie, thanks very much. Good night. Good night. Thanks, mate. Take care.